Congratulations, you made it to the X-Fill. You can sit back, relax, unpack your bags, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, Mike, a.k.a. MTB Trigger here, and with me as always is my co-host Ronald, a.k.a. Eric. If you are brand new, welcome. This is an Escape from Tarkov podcast where we talk about all things EFT, and our goal is to get better at the game, and we hope you come along with us for that journey. Lots going on in Discord recently, so this week for hideout keeping, I just wanted to recommend that... Everybody keep an eye out on the other games channels if you've got interest in other titles. There has been almost a nightly group forming up playing Among Us. I've seen people grouping up for Apex Legends. I've seen a few PUBG squads form. We got World of Warcraft Shadowlands coming out next week. Actually, by the time you hear this, it's going to be out because it comes out today and it's already live. So never mind, it's already out. (laughs) But Shadowlands is out for World of Warcraft. I forgot it launched today which is kind of funny because that means I haven't logged in yet, which is also scary. I'm behind. But anyway, I expect that some people will be looking at a group up for World of Warcraft as well. So make sure to keep an eye out there on those other channels. If you're interested, lots going on there. But for this week, support for the show is brought to you by Manscaped.com. Save 20% at Manscaped.com and get free shipping with code XFIL. That's 20% and free shipping at manscaped.com with code EXFIL. As far as how you can support the show, the number one way, as always, share it with a friend. If you're looking to support directly, monetarily, we have a Patreon for that. Thank you so much to those of you who have joined that, become patrons. We have added so many people to that, and it's just incredible. There's a new $1 option that a lot of you are taking advantage of. We've actually had people come in at all tiers, and that's just an amazing thing. So thank you so much for that. You can also use codes with our sponsors as we add more and as we continue to be supported by Manscaped. So if you're looking for a holiday gift, make sure you use code XFIL there. And lastly, it's our social channels and YouTube. So make sure you follow us there, subscribe, leave comments, review us, whatever you can do. As I just said that, I haven't asked for this in a while, and giving us ratings on the various podcast apps, if you're an audio-only listener, especially on iTunes, Spotify, whatever, following us on those, or giving us a five-star review, and leaving a real honest comment on why you like the show, five-star reviews are amazing, those go so far, and we have so many of those, so I just want to thank you again for everybody who has ever taken the time to leave a review or give us a five star, that does wonders for us. I believe it's how we're getting discovered by sponsors. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you haven't done that yet, please do. And if you can't give us a five star rating for some reason, please let us know. We want to get better. We appreciate the feedback. And we've done a lot of things directly from feedback that we honestly had never even thought about. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're looking for me, you can always find me on Twitch at MTB Trigger. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Discord. And the best way to get in touch with me if you want to have a conversation is through Discord or tag me in any conversation going on in the XP Media Discord. I'm usually able to jump in and join those conversations. So that's all from me. Ronald, how are you, man? 
let these fine folks know how they can get in touch with you. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Doing pretty good. It's been a good week. The best way, as always, to get in touch with me is on Discord. Go ahead and tag me in a message on Discord. Send me a DM. MTB and I don't mind. You can go ahead and tag us and whatever and send us messages. We respond to every one of them. If not right away, we'll get to them. And we're very grateful that our community is interactive and everyone has got lots of things to say. You can also find me. I'm pretty active in the hardware section in Discord. We've got lots of people upgrading their computers, especially around the holiday season, and they're wondering what parts to buy, what works well together. We thankfully have a few people in the community that are really knowledgeable and are active, and you'll find me there talking with people, helping them figure out which parts they can buy, and also if you're having trouble with your PC or if you're new to PC. If you're a console gamer who switched over to PC to play Tarkov or PUBG or whatever else game you're playing, and you're new to PC, Go there for answers uh, to help you with anything that you have going on. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ronald Gaming. And I also hang out a couple times a week in MTB Trigger stream on Twitch, answer some questions, hang out with people, just talk, have a good time. So look for me there in the afternoons primarily. Outside of that, if you have something more formal that you'd like to get to the show, our corporate contact is xpmedia2020 at gmail.com. And you can get to us uh, directly through that channel. But that's about it. Let's uh, get out of hideout keeping and start talking about our week. So Trigger, how's your week in Tarkov? My week has been awesome. Uh, I actually played a fair amount of Tarkov this week and actually got some big things done. So last week I talked about how I had every raid complete in order for the guide And I am happy to report that my first raid following the recording of the podcast, I was able to get into Interchange and get that complete. But it was crazy. We get in there, we get the worst spawn, at least in my mind. And I had J-Mac with me, who uh, I usually play with on Mondays or Tuesdays. And we go in on Interchange and I'm like, okay, spawn me anywhere except for the railway spawn. And of course guess what we get? We get the railway spawn. So we're like, okay, so 50-50 here, we can go towards power and work towards the Emercom exfil, or we can go across the parking lot and head towards Emercom. We also could have taken one of the secret exfils under the parking lot, but we felt that sticking to the perimeter was the best. So this is where it gets crazy. We decided to take the more covered route and we're going to go to power You know, hopefully those guys rotated into the mall and then we could move around. So we made our way over slowly. And then we start hearing the shots ringing out as we're near the trucks that are just if you're looking at power station from the mall, it's the trucks on the left. And we start taking fire. J-Max says, I killed one. And fortunately, I'm wearing a slick armor and a Vulcan helmet. And I take a couple shots, but I'm okay get around the corner, start healing. He's like, I can't get the other one. He's up in the shooter born in heaven spot, which is up on top of the power station. And we start freaking out. I'm like, no, not like this. This is not happening. And he's like, okay, let me see if I can get a shot on him. He peeks out once, tries to shoot him, can't get it. And he's like, this guy has too good of an angle and I can't quite get him. So I said, okay, let's backtrack all the way. Because even though we didn't want to go through the parking lot, It just seems like there's always people sniping that. We were like, okay, well, this guy's got this locked down. So we kind of snuck back through the wooded area and went back through railway, went back across where you find all those stashes near the train tracks. And then we came up on the other side of the scab area. 
So we come out of there and we don't hear anything. I think we maybe heard or had to kill one scav. And I'm like, okay, let's make sure we clear the Ollie Tower because I really don't want to get shot by a shooter born in heaven. And lo and behold, we're working up that back side. And JMX says again, he's like, I got a guy in the tower. He's prone. I don't see anybody moving on either side of it. And I'm like, dude, we got to kill him and we got to go. And we had this conversation of like, he's probably got a friend. It's pretty rare that people go prone in the Ollie Tower and they don't have someone spotting for them. So we take the shots, we down him, we take like five additional shots to make sure that he's dead. And then we move up, we decide not to loot him, we get to the wall. It didn't appear that he had a teammate with him or the teammate was waiting for us to go loot him, which is why we didn't go anywhere near that. And then we worked up the big blue wall towards the Emercom exit and we're going slowly didn't really hear anything until we got to basically where the ramp is coming out of the back of Ollie. And we start hearing grenades and gunfire and we just booked it. We just start running and fortunately got out. It took about 20 minutes for that entire process, maybe even 25. So we knew we were going to get a survive. Didn't really even shoot anybody from my end. I tried to loot anything as we were going by, so I looted a couple stashes just to make sure that I got survived, and I was really nervous that even if I survived and it wasn't a run-through, I was nervous if I didn't get some kind of experience that it wouldn't have gone through. So we got out. It was successful. First attempt through the guide complete. It was crazy, dude. I, I have not had my heart pounding like that in Tarkov for quite some time. That's awesome. And when you made that decision, I think there's one critical point I think it's interesting to talk about. When you made the decision to turn around, talk about how long that took. How long did it take for you to realize that the guy had the corner locked down? How did you figure out exactly that you would be safe turning around? And and how did you find that angle? Because I think that's an interesting thing for people to try to learn how to do is You have to make choices in Tarkov sometimes where you have to give up on being aggressive and say, you know what, we have something that's more important than just dying in a PvP exercise that could be fun, but it's more important to get this task done. So let's talk a little bit more about that. How did that develop? Yeah, so that's actually interesting as you ask, because in my mind, it was like a split second decision, but that's not true. Because when JMAC killed the first guy, right, because his call was there's two guys there and then the shooting starts, I get hit, he keeps shooting and he's like, I got one. And I'm like, great, I ran around the van, I'm healing, we should get out of here. And he's like, I think I can get the second one. So at that point, I look up to see if I can see him on the very top and I don't have an angle. So I keep going through my Saliwa. I didn't have anything blackout, didn't need a splint or anything, but I took some damage to my thorax and my stomach. So I wanted to heal that up. So then he's shooting some more shots. This guy takes some shots, hits J-Mac. So he runs and backs off and he backed off further than I did. So I had to cross. Basically, it wasn't very far. I mean, it's probably just like a couple of feet, but I had to cross from that van to the other side of the fence where we know it was clear. And so once I did that, we started talking. We're like, okay, do we engage this guy? Do we run? If we can get through him, it's probably a clear shot to the other side, but there was just a lot of gunfire. And so this was really hard because for anyone who's watched my stream, you know that I play a lot of PUBG with JMac. And we tend to chase shots. And when we play Tarkov together, we do the same thing. So this is a very unnatural decision for us to run away from somebody that we just put into a 1v2 situation and we knew exactly where they were. However, they were clearly getting good shots on us 
And that whole scenario was probably about 60 seconds, which is actually a very long time. You know, there was nades thrown, there were shots ringing out. I had to use my Saliwa probably four times. JMAC had to fix a blacked out limb and then heal that up. And then we painkillered. And then we had to figure out if we actually had a path out without him seeing. And there's a pretty good path because the power plant is fenced in. So our conversation was, okay, if we hug this fence on the outer edge of this fence for power, I think we can get to the trees and at least make it extremely challenging for that guy to shoot. We also thought enough time went by that he may be trying to recover his friend's gear and get out. So it was an interesting decision. It challenged my playstyle to run away from the PvP. But at the same time, it was like, I don't want to die here. It's not that I couldn't do the guide again, but there's a point where it was like, I only wanted to survive. It was the only thing I wanted to do. I could care less about the gear. I care less about anything. We knew we killed a sniper and they probably had really good gear sitting on Ollie Tower, but it wasn't even worth it to check for me. So it was, it was like a 60 second conversation, transaction, whatever you want to call it. And it was not straightforward. It wasn't like, hey, let's go, right? And part of it was, I'm the one that wanted to survive. J-Max the one that offered to escort me. So he's rocking, you know, really good gear. I'm rocking really good gear. But one of the things that was challenging is I was wearing a Vulcan and I almost exclusively play with the sword and headset. So to me, putting the Vulcan on was extremely limiting in my ability to spot, listen, and give good information outside of visual. And so for me, I said, if we push this guy, I'm not going to be able to hear anything because I don't normally play like this. and I don't have settings for sound for when I'm not using a sword. So we had all of that conversation on the backside of this wall. And ultimately, we both agreed that the best course of action was to back off. If he chooses to chase, let's fight him on level ground. But it just seemed like the safer opportunity to survive the raid. Because even if, right, and this, I think this was my point that won out was, if you die and I kill this guy, I now have to go a long ways to get out by myself, and I'd rather have an escort. And that's what ultimately won it. But it was a heated situation. There wasn't any tension or anything, but it was... It was opposing views and opposing both of our play styles. So it was it was not easy. It's always hard to change your play style on the fly to adapt to something in Tarkov when you have an objective or a task that you're trying to do. Like if you have a reason other than just going in thick and looking for PvP, there are going to be situations and times where it's going to throw you into, okay, in order to do what you want to do, I'm going to have to play it in a completely different way. And I, Absolutely. I think this is a super interesting example because you kind of talked about both situations there, but you really had two sniper situations, one in the power station and then on your way out, one in the tower. And so in the power station situation, making that choice with JMAC to retreat and then working your way back around with the, power, with the sniper in the tower again to deal with that, you, you don't loot, you try to get out of there. It's like playing anti-Tarkov in order to win. And it's it goes against kind of being aggressive and saying, hey, you know, I'm I'm going to win by pushing. I'm going to win by forcing people to make mistakes. But when you, you change your play style like that to get something done, it's not easy. And I wanted to bring that up because it's important because that's a big deal to get the guy done. That's an incredibly hard task. And you had to do it in a mix of play styles. And I think that's cool. Yeah. And it was also a discussion when we saw the guy on the Ollie Tower because he was prone looking at the building. And this is why 
the entire raid matters and the story that happens within a raid matters. Because had we run that way first and seen that guy, we may have chosen to disengage the same way we did on power. But the truth is, because we had killed a guy and we knew his partner was left at power, when we actually saw the guy on Ollie Tower, it was a conversation of if we don't engage this guy, he's either going to be shooting at us we're going to be wrapping back into a guy who's now really mad on power and could have moved up and taken position and we're not going to know where he's at or we fight him. And so for us, it was, okay, we know we've got a 2v1 to start and we can likely kill this guy in a couple of shots. And then if he has a buddy, we figure that out. But none of those decisions were comfortable, man. It was like, oh my gosh, how are we running into this on my last task? I never see people here on interchange. So it was it was great. It was like heart pumping action, but man, it was stressful. It's amazing to me that you made it through reserve and through woods and through customs and shoreline and factory, you know, no problems, right? And then on interchange of all places, which just happens to be a hot spot right now for sniping because of where we are in the wipe and kind of where the bulk of people have gotten to in their task progression. They need to get Shooterborn and Heaven complete, so they're working on that. It just seems funny to me that this is the map that caused the problem for the guide and not, you know, labs or something like that. Right. It was crazy. I was like, how interchange? Like, I run interchange all the time. So, yeah, I'm glad to have it done. And, yeah, I mean, some of those other maps gave a couple problems and hiccups. Like, labs, I almost died like four times. But even then, it was fighting in close quarters, and I had a little bit of control versus that feeling of, oh, I'm going to get headshot from 200 meters away. So it's just a different set of you know storyline that just turned into a really cool completion of a task. It felt really, really good to turn that one in, and it, it kind of motivated me to start doing more tasks and being a little more focused on that, because I'm like, okay, the guide's done. I can, you know pretty easily accomplish a handful more. And there'll be a couple that I'm not looking forward to. But it actually led to you and I talking a bit about tasks. And I got to help you with some tasks, which was honestly a blast. But I'll let you talk about that because I'm assuming you're going to. And then I'm going to leave some more of my woods endeavors for the main section because we did want to come back and talk about woods this week. So there's your sneak peek for what we're going to be talking about. But uh, how was your week in Tarkov, man? I had a great week in Tarkov. Honestly, I probably played more Tarkov this week than I have all wipe. It just worked out for me schedule-wise to be able to do that and have time to get into it. So I thought, well, I need to push to level 30 to unlock some stuff in the hideout. I wanted to get Peacekeeper unlocked with a finishing friend from the West and then starting in on the Peacekeeper you know, line of tasks to get to eventually to Peacekeeper level 3 and then 4. And so I thought, you know what? Let's dive in and get some get some tasks done. So I had tasks on Shoreline, had tasks on Customs, uh, did some Factory with you just for XP. You know, no other reason, just grinding XP because it's fun. And it was really interesting because I had a couple of things happen that were totally unexpected. And before I get into that, I'll just say that I did get to level 30. I did get Peacekeeper, you know, going for me. I'm almost to level four with Peacekeeper now because of... Uh, reputation and got through a bunch of tasks. But when I decided on Shoreline that I wanted to practice the scenario that we talked about last week or the week before where we lost 
where you died at the bottom of the hill in front of the cabin uh, off of Godspawn on the way up to the resort. And it was a 1v3, you know, but I still just did not end up playing fast and aggressive enough. And the guy to Thermo, so there's a lot of things against me, but still I could have done a lot of things better. So I've been practicing that and I've been practicing killing thick boys on the way up to, to resort. And I've had a lot of luck killing them. And what's super interesting to me is that I've picked up a couple of guns without scopes on them. And it took me a while to figure out what was going on. Like, why would somebody bring in a 250K kit with a gun with no scope? And so, and just for fun this week, I watched a bunch of Twitch. I specifically went into just the Tarkov list and I was looking for people playing Shoreline looking for squads going up resort. And I ended up finding a couple of them and just watched a couple of random runs. And what I noticed is that people are taking thermals in the shoreline and they're mounted on a bracket that they can then put back into their gamma, their secure container. And this is totally consistent with two guns that I pulled out this week from shoreline that had no scopes. I mean, they were M1s without scopes, which is very unusual. That's not something that you would do. And so I think, I wonder if that's a new strategy because thermals are 830 to a million in the flea market right now. And it's the people who push resort don't want to lose that. I mean, nobody wants to lose that. But if you're pushing resort looking for the home run loot spawn, you're going to go broke that way pretty quick. It was just something odd. Yeah, I've seen a few times where things like this have come up and a few of them I think have gotten taken away. You know, I've seen people that will put a, like a tube or a, you know, some sort of gun part in their gamma or kappa or whatever they have so that they can throw gun parts on it or expensive ones in the event that something goes wrong. You can't put a lot of stuff directly into your secure container, but I was aware that you could do this. I think thermals being so expensive this wipe compared to last, I didn't really think that it was going to become a big thing, at least until the the situation where we're in now, that a lot of people are approaching, you know, mid-game if the low-time players are getting into the mid and end game. And the people that have been playing all wipe long have significant amounts of money to blow. But even then, it's never really fun to lose a thermal scope. Like, even if you could buy 40 of them, like, there's something about losing a thermal scope to another player that <laughs> just doesn't feel right. And right now, they're worth almost a million rubles a pop because a lot of the common trades are, are no longer there for them. And the ones that are available are super expensive to do. So interesting. I, I don't know what the item is that you can throw it onto. Um, I'm not sure if you were able to catch that through the stream or not, but uh, it sounds like there's something you can attach the scope to to chuck it in your container. Yeah, I did take a clip of it that I'm going to watch and kind of research because I really was curious and fascinated by this. I found a streamer who I'm not going to name, but that does do this. And so I clipped it and then I watched them do it several other times. They spawn into shoreline. He looked around. He's the scope. He was the scout and he looked around. And then about 30 seconds into the raid, they all said, okay, that's good. You can take the scope off now. And it was really interesting to me because their play style was pretty aggressive and they mostly died. So I would say of the, I think I watched them for six raids and of the six raids, they died five five times and they're playing a three-man team that was pretty W key. 
And so I can understand that, you know, playing that play style, it's boom or bust. They were going for lead X's and, you know, the high tier loop. It was all or nothing. So it's an interesting strategy. I mean, I don't care either way. Personally, I don't have a problem with it. If that's the way you want to play, uh, fine. I think that it hurts you when you don't have at least a red dot on it, (laughs) you know, when you get into like the resort to do close quarters PVP, because I noticed that he was having trouble a little bit with it. And it seemed like hip firing was, you know, his really his best option because he would go ADS and there was nothing there, right? It's just looking kind of straight. So interesting. I've never tried it. I don't know what the piece is. I do plan on figuring it out and I'll report back for everybody when I do. But if you've ever heard of that, you know, let us know in episode feedback or if that's something that, that you've tried or if that's something that you and your crew does. No judgment from us. We really kind of are indifferent to it. At least I am. I won't speak for you, but I'm, I'm indifferent to the practice. But I'm just curious because it was something kind of new. I was going to ask a question. You kind of answered it from your perspective, but I was going to ask what you thought about this and should it be allowed? And it's an interesting area for me because personally, I've done things like put cases inside of bags so that I could put those bags inside of other cases in my stash. And that was last wipe before it got changed. And I did that so that I could put thick weapons cases or thick items cases in a bag and then put that into a thick items case. And normally you can't do bag or caseception with that. And this is similar. This is saying, okay, well, the thermal doesn't go in the gamma. It's not allowed. But there is this thing that I can put this on or in, and then that goes in. And so part of me says, you know, clearly it's pretty easy for Battlestate to restrict what can go in your secure container. And they've also clearly specified, based on the fact the thermal can't go in there, that it shouldn't go in. So again, this is a gray area, but I also look at this is probably Battlestate's issue. Like if if they haven't flagged whatever item that is going in the secure container, I mean... If the game allows it, yeah, I say go for it. I just wouldn't get upset when it gets changed because they have changed stuff like this before. Now, one of the things related to specifically to the practice is I think that this strategy, particularly putting a very expensive scope or hoping that you can get it into your gamma and save it, I think it's probably, I don't know, man, I just think it could cause more pain than it's going to um, save you from. Like, it's it's not fun to die when you have a thermal scope. But if you start getting into your mind that like, ooh, if I get in a firefight, I can throw this scope in my gamma, and then someone one-shots you in the head, or you don't get the scope into the gamma, or whatever, I, I just think you're setting yourself up to be more mad at the game. When in reality, you need to be looking at gameplay, but it's so it's like if if your gameplay leads to you dying over and over and over and to maintain economy, you're relying on, you know, not dying, but getting safe and putting the scope onto another item in your gamma. To me, that says, I don't know how viable that playstyle is because one little thing changes, it becomes unavailable, which could be said for a lot of things, but I don't know. I guess I just... It surprises me that people would do this and that you've watched them do it over and over and over. Yeah, I'm not surprised from this aspect that it's really expensive, so they don't want to lose it. I just don't think it helps you. Like, I don't I don't think it's a good practice to win the raid, you know, to complete whatever you're doing. I can imagine that you're playing scared on a totally different level. We talk about gear fear all throughout the Xville podcast. If you listen to all 48 episodes now, we've talked about gear fear over time. And 
this is really like the culmination of that. This is the ultimate gear fear. Before you even engage, you're pulling apart your weapon so that you don't lose something. It just seems to me like your mindset isn't right when you're doing this. You're already playing scared and you're already playing at a disadvantage to yourself. It's like the people who can afford to run the best armor but don't because they want to get rid of, you know, they don't want to spend the rubles on it or because they want to see their currency count just go up. And if you're sitting on tens of millions of rubles and you're not buying class five armor and you're dying and you're getting frustrated with Tarkov, at a certain point, it's your fault for not just giving yourself the best chance. And I'm not calling anybody out. I'm talking to myself with this. Having gone through a uh, very difficult and painful transition to realizing that my floor for currency was high enough that would support me getting basically consistently whatever armor and whatever, you know, I wanted, which, you know, is something that everybody kind of looks at and has to individually identify for themselves. The big part about this particular thing, though, with taking apart your gun is I think that these are good players that are doing this, and I think they're motivated by the wrong motivation. If the thermal is such a big deal where you're that worried about it, don't take it with you. Take something that you're comfortable with, and you don't need a thermal to win on Shoreline. I never use them, and I win all the time on Shoreline. Shoreline is more about placement and understanding the map and understanding where the spawn points are and where the lanes are than it is about needing a thermal to win. And so it's an interesting meta that's developing, but only because of how much the thermals cost that people are starting to do things like this. And I thought it was worth talking about because it was an oddity. Yeah, I guess I look at it through the lens of choke points, which we've talked about on previous shows. And for someone to take a thermal with the plan of putting it into a container at a certain point or whatever, it suggests that they're probably surviving up into a certain point really frequently because they're planning on being able to put it away. And that's the piece that's kind of odd to me is that I think they're focused on the wrong choke point. <laughs> you know, so I, I guess if someone's doing this, I, I would love to hear why you do it, because it would seem to me that if you're using the thermal up to a point and planning on surviving to that point to put it into your gamma, you probably don't need the thermal. You know, I don't know. I guess I just don't see a scenario where this is something I would do. And I'm trying to work through why you would. So I'm sure there's people out here listening that that do this. And I'd love to hear more about it other than, oh, yeah, it's just a way to save it. Because I think there's more to it than that. Um, and But maybe it is the expensive aspect of that scope that drives this. And maybe that's the sole reason. But it seems like there's more to it specifically on Shoreline. But I'm I'm not sure exactly what it is. I wonder if on woods, this is a strategy or not. You know, like if you would bring one in and you start to get sniped at and you just try to hide, you're like, oh crap, I think I'm going to die. I'm going to pull apart my gun a little bit. It's such an odd thing. I've never thought about doing this. And I, I wonder if on woods that this would be another viable strategy because you can use a thermal on woods so effectively. I could see people wanting to bring it in, but you don't want to die with it, right? So Yeah. And I mean, there's also times where you know, I've gotten really badly beat up and thought I was going to die. So I would chuck stuff in bushes, right? So 
It's kind of the same concept. I think it's a little safer. You don't have to wait for insurance returns. So it's like, yeah, I, it's available in the game, so do it. But it's it's uh, it's fascinating to me that not only did you think something was going on and then you went and figured it out and found someone doing it. <laughs> but, you, I mean, you brought up Woods there, and, and I do want to talk about Woods because, you know, <laughs> the title of last week's episode was Woods sucks. And part of that was joking. Part of it was definitely not. Um, It's a map that takes some effort. It takes some time. And we knew that. And so we're kind of joking. Like, it's a map knowledge thing. We know there's a piece of it there. But there are some things that are very different about Woods compared to a lot of the other maps. And I guess I wanted to talk about some of what I did this week to start to learn Woods. And for me, where that always starts is the number one thing I do is learn the spawn locations. Where can players spawn? And I think that's a pretty common piece of advice for any map. And for me, I don't want to focus on just learning the spawn locations because that can be accomplished with having your phone up, with having another monitor up, whatever. And you can quickly glance, where am I? Where are they? And after you run 10, 20, 30, 40 times, you're going to have a pretty good idea of where you are where other PMCs can be. So for me, it's the next thing, learning the timing and rotations. And what I did on this was I did something completely counter to how I normally play, but I just didn't understand where people go on this map. And so to learn that, what I did is I ran a number of raids where I spent 30 or 40 minutes in the raid, and I would spawn in, and I would run to a relatively safe location that was pretty near my spawn. I didn't want to risk being pushed by another PMC. And I would find a spot where that I could prone or hide and scope out on a big section of the map. Ideally, that was open and looked into the woods or over lumber camp. And if you're in lumber camp looking towards the water, one of my favorite ones was if you're in lumber camp looking at the water on the left side, there's a bunch of rocks and there's a couple of different cliffs. And above where you get the blood off of the side of the car, there's kind of a, a ledge or a cliff and there's a bush there and a rock. And I would prone on that, which again, is, is not something I normally do, but I would prone there and I would just scope in and I took in the voodoo scope. So I had the 1X and the 6X and I was just looking around. I was watching what happened. I was looking left and right and I'd hear people run up right behind me. And I just committed to dying and losing that gun and equipment if they got me. But I was able to spend like three or four raids in that particular spot, just making note of the time in the raid, where people were coming from, where people were going, and how they moved through the lumber camp, how they moved around it, where the fights broke out. And just doing this a handful of times, I was finding that a lot of similar things happened. There was usually somebody shooting from above the, I, would, I call them trailers, but they're marked one, two, and three. There's some tasks in there, but there's almost always someone that goes there and starts shooting down into lumber camp. Oftentimes, there's somebody that comes in towards the other end of the shoreline and starts shooting through some of the open warehouses. And then there's a tremendous amount of fighting on the far wall towards the vehicle and towards the rock passage area. And all of this helped me understand how the lumber camp works and what people do there. And so I don't know, man, I don't know if you spent some time on woods this week or not. Um, I know we talked about it a lot last week, but I found it really helpful to start learning 
the timings and rotations because I honestly just didn't really understand what people were doing on the map. I spent zero time on woods this week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I still have zero desire to go back. I think I died six times trying to get to that stupid car on the shore, and I just said, nope, and so moved on to other things. However, gotcha. I did spend a significant time this week learning new timings and two new rotation points on shoreline. So same kind of thing. I basically hid, and I watched people go past me, and I noticed where they came from, and I did it over and over and over again. And my point was the first six or seven times was to just simply learn how they got from one place to another. And then by times eight to 10 after that, then I started engaging them and I had an idea of where they thought the engagement was going to come from. And just knowing those two things, I was able to really up my game on shoreline. So I imagine that translates to woods as well. Learning the timings and the rotations is great because I wouldn't have that on woods at all. <laughs> I die in woods. <laughs> yeah, I. the thing is, is I didn't have a good exfil success rate. And the interesting part about slowing it down was I didn't wait till the very end to move, but I did wait for 30 or 40 minutes, giving myself 15 to 20. And on three of those raids, I was going through lumber camp and just kind of making my way through. And I would hear scavs. I would hear, you know, players run through. And two separate times, I looted a PMC and all of Sherman's gear. I took out a bunch of SVDSs um, and I took out some decent loot. They weren't crazy runs, but I, I did have some success getting some loot out. And a lot of it came down to patience. And that's that's kind of what I I figured. It's kind of what I thought was going to happen is that it it played a little different. And I think one of the cool parts about last week's episode was we did get a number of people reaching out that play Woods a lot. And there was one guy in Discord specifically, uh, Control-Alt-Defeat, if you're familiar with him, runs a lot of raids in the the channels in the Discord. And he kind of sent me his kind of breakdown that he and the guy he runs a lot of duos do. And This was kind of what I knew, but a lot of people that run Woods run it in a team. I'm sure there's some solo Woods people out there, but everyone I talked to this week ran it in some sort of squad. And the biggest thing is knowing the spawns, knowing where players are going to come from. And I think the best advice that he gave, and, and again, this is the advice of someone who said that last wipe, they ran Woods 500 times, 500 raids. And then at the beginning of this wipe, ran it 200 raids before moving on to reserve and learning reserve this wipe. So they spent a lot of time on this map. And a couple of key things that he pointed out to me were strength in numbers on woods is key because oftentimes there is a sniper or there's someone sniping. And this may sound really easy, but he said on other maps, you can kind of run from cover to cover. But on woods, sometimes you're running long distances through defilades and hills and sometimes trees. But he said, if you weave while you're sprinting and someone's sniping from two, three, 400 meters away, you're going to make it really hard to hit you. And they're going to have to hit a crazy shot to accomplish that. But if you're running straight across a field, you're giving them chance to, to line up their shots. So he said, very, very what you're doing as far as the direction you're running. And then the last thing that I really 
I really want to test this out and maybe you and I can both get the nerve to do it. He said baiting sniper shots. They bait snipers, meaning one person actively tries to get a sniper to shoot at them while the other partner zeroes in on them and picks them off. And I think this would be so fun if you get good enough at woods to do this. Like, how cool would that be to be like, all right, I'm baiting. Here's the two spots that might be able to see me. And then your partner's like, okay, I got him. Boom, he's down. Like, oh, that'd be so cool. I was just thinking about how they've perfected that on woods. And I'm like, I want to experience that. And I think it would make it really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I would love to try that too. I think it'd be interesting, even if you're going to die for a while, perfecting that strategy, it would be a good one to learn where the sniper spots are. Woods has got so many good little cheeky hiding spots, you know, where snipers can pop up behind a rock and then pop down again, take a shot, you know, peek and take a shot. And I think that'd be kind of fun to learn how to do. And again, you know, at a certain point, knowing you're going to die, just go in with appropriate level gear or expecting that there's a good chance that you're going to die, go in with appropriate level gear and go in there with, um, with a scoped OPSKS, you know, something that you can still kill somebody from long range with, but it's not a 300k meta HK or something like that, you know. It kind right. of is what it is when you're in learning mode. You have to be realistic in your chances of survival and you don't want to hamstring yourself, but, you know, if you're going to learn something, you're going to die, so make it so that you can die a few times to learn. Yep. And, and one last point on Woods as I'm thinking about it. One of the things I noticed when overlooking the lumber camp was just how many players and player scabs charge into the lumber camp. And I, every time, man, I'd go 20 minutes later and there would just be bodies everywhere. And if you're not in a hurry and you take your time on Woods, this is what I'm going to be working on next is really digging into learning a couple of the different locations. But just knowing like after in the first 10 minutes, there's always like uh, almost every single time there was always somebody just going nuts in lumber camp, if not multiple people. And then oftentimes when I got to a spot where I could see in or I was in lumber camp myself, there would be like five or six bodies just sprawled around PMCs, everything. And so anyway, I, I just think that rushing into that area and this was something that control alt defeat confirmed as well is that it's a death trap and it's it's really easy to be like the high tier loots in the middle sprint there and again it's so flipped from even what we see people doing on shoreline and and every other map so yeah if you decide to do woods or you get into woods or you've got more feedback on the map i I love it i'm probably not going to play woods all the time but i am going to keep plucking away at it because i want to know the current part of woods a little bit better before they expand it whenever they're going to do that. I think patience on open area maps is really key to being successful. You know, factory and reserve and to a certain extent customs train us to just run, run from place to place to place. And it's interesting to me because when you get into shoreline and woods, you just can't do that. I mean, you can, but if you really want to up your success rate, you don't do that. And I think it's interesting because Tarkov allows for a couple different play styles. If you want a W key, that's great. If you want to take it slow, you can do that too. And so I think that's really interesting. And this strategy that Control-Alt-Defeat was talking about for Woods really is being a little bit more patient and using you know the terrain, using the overall what most people will do on Woods against them. And I love stuff like that. 
Because if you're running into players that are too hard to beat, use what they're doing against them to beat them. And having bait, someone be bait, is definitely risky. But if you have someone who's really good at sniping, go be the bait and let your sniper take them out. And they're not always going to take them out before you know you get a chance to uh, to die for the cause. But you know if you can trust them that maybe four to five times they take them out, you're going to start to have some success on woods that um, I'd be jealous of at this point because I have no success on woods. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but overall, I think that the open area maps require a different type of strategy that may be a fun topic to break down for a future show. Yeah, man, I agree. And as we wrap up our conversation, it reminds me that no one, and I mean no one, wants to get nicked or snagged when you're trimming a path through the woods. I got to tell you, I've had a number of beard trimmers. I've had a number of personal trimmers, razors, etc. But I got to tell you guys, the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped.com is so powerful that I have not ran into a snag yet anywhere. And I mean anywhere. So make sure to check out the Perfect Package 3.0 from Manscaped.com. You're going to find the Lawnmower 3.0, which is the best man's below-the-belt grooming trimmer. This 7,000 RPM trimmer has helped reduce manscaping accidents around the world. In addition, you're going to find other liquid formulations inside the Perfect Package, like the Crop Preserver Deodorant and the Crop Reviver as well as the reduced chafing boxer briefs. You guys get out there, save 20% off plus free shipping with code EXFIL at manscaped.com. That's right, 20% off and free shipping with code EXFIL at manscaped.com. Well, that being said, pretty sure that I'm seeing that green bar flash. And that means that we are moments away from disappearing. But if you're brand new to the show, first of all, thank you. Thank you for checking out the show. If this is your first episode, we want to welcome you to the Xville. Be sure to check out the Discord. We have an incredibly active Discord. Lots of people playing a variety of games, obviously. Lots of people squatting up playing Tarkov. Plenty of people to help you get better there and lots of people to answer questions. Remember, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, all the places, Google Podcasts, everywhere. If you're just watching exclusively on YouTube and need to check us out on the go. And if you are an audio only listener to the XFIL, be sure to check out the YouTube channel if you haven't already. Check out youtube.com slash now. There's lots of content up there. I think we've crossed the 200 video mark somewhere in that neighborhood. We've got lots of stuff up there to help you with your PCs, to help you with all different types of Xfil bootcamp videos regarding different things for Tarkov, stash management, Trigger's incredibly insane obsession with cases and how he manages his stash, PvP movement, things like peeking, things like sneaking around, those kinds of things. We've got plenty of videos up there. Check them out. There's lots of good stuff there. And of course, if you watch the main show on YouTube, you get to watch Trigger and I do this live in the talk show version of it. Come by, leave a comment there, hit a like, let us know that uh, you saw the show. Tell us what you think about it. But that's it. So as always, thank you again for listening or watching. We hope you have a great week in all of your raids, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. 